The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now to Hebrews chapter 12 as we um, continue our march and really get close to the end of our march through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 through chapter 13, verse 6. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the reading of God's word. Praise be to God. Pray with me. Our great God, we rejoice this morning that you have spoken. And yet, O oh God, we confess that oftentimes when you do speak, it hurts. Because you point to the very things that we are throwing our lives in to replace you with. And so, God, this morning we just beg that you would come by your Spirit, that we would have mercy and grace that might empower us to look into our own hearts and to see sin and to see destructive behaviors and systemic issues in our lives that we need to let go of. We need to repent of, and we may need, may even need help doing so. Oh God, we pray this morning that you would come by your Spirit and you would do what only you can do, and that is bring change and power into our hearts through your Word. Your Word is perfect, but our hearts are hard, and our vision is often dull. So God, would you work among us this morning to bring real change? Father, may your truth be clear to us. And may you get glory as we exalt your name in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a king and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, This is what we have looked at um, over the last week or two. And because we have a king, and because we are members of his kingdom, uh, no leader no matter how evil, no matter how dishonest, no matter how narcissistic, no matter how powerful nor rich they are, can shake us because we have a king and we have a kingdom. And that is a message that 
runs throughout the scriptures because that is a message that we need on any day in any age. The believers in Rome definitely needed that message. They were Jews who came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And in doing so, Nero, the the ruler of the day, the ruler of Rome, felt threatened by this, and therefore he unleashed a massive campaign of persecution against these Jewish believers. And they were losing home. They were losing life. They were losing jobs, family members. It was an intense time of persecution in the life of the church. And yet, in the midst of this, the writer of Hebrews is lifting up Jesus as a king and a high priest who is superior to anyone or anything on this earth. And he is reminding them that they are to be the people of God, the citizens of his kingdom, even though and especially because they live in a wicked world that rejects God. It's in that world that provides the church the opportunity and the privilege of being kingdom citizens and living as citizens of the kingdom of God that the world might know what the kingdom of God is all about and who our king really is. And last week we saw that if we are true kingdom citizens, then we worship the king. And worshiping the king under the new covenant means loving your brother as your brother. In other words, sacrificing for your neighbor. He says, let brotherly love continue. In other words, don't let all these things out here distract you from loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But don't just practice Philadelphia, which that's the Greek word, but also practice Philoxenia. Also practice loving the stranger. Oh, my. And so we are to be a kingdom that reflects the love of neighbor, whether they're our brother in Christ or sister in Christ, or whether or not they hate Christ. That is how we worship God under the new covenant. But not only that. The writer of Hebrews goes on and he lists two more ways that we have to reveal kingdom citizenship to the world. It is with our sex, and it's with our money. And I told the deacons to lock all the doors at this point, all right? (laughs) Man, why is it that the writer of Hebrews would throw these two things at us? It's because these are the two idols that every man and every woman and every age is tempted to replace the worship of God with. So let's look at it. First of all, our king, upon good authority, demands that we worship him with our sex. A primary way that we make the invisible kingdom of God visible to the world is by the way that we use sex among us and in the world. Now, why is that? I believe it's because... Sex, unlike anything else, maybe money is a close second, but sex is a way for us to reveal who and what we're really trusting for love. Sex is what we run to for so much more than sex. 
I went to a seminar, as I told you last week, uh, it's called the Bethesda Seminar. It was held in um, Nashville Friday week ago. And in, in the seminar, they were the first part of it was describing sexual addiction. And, and one of the primary comments that I remember um, from that morning was uh, this reality that sexual addiction has little to do with sex. It has everything, however, to do with intimacy. And that struck me, and I've been thinking about that. And, 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 and indeed, I, I get what they're saying because all of us have been created for intimacy. None of us can live a healthy life without knowing confidently that, that we are accepted and loved and valued and that we are worth something to someone important. When these things are communicated to us, then we have stability as human beings. The problem is, the only one that can give us that ultimately is God, and He's the very one we refuse to go to most of the time. And so what do we do? We go to anything and everything else, and sex is high on the list. But why is sex high on the list? It's because God has made sex very pleasurable. You say, wow, Richard, let me write that down. I didn't, didn't realize that. But think with me, and I, I learned a lot um, at this conference. And, and um, one thing that I learned is how the brain uh, responds to, to sex. Our brain releases the chemical um, dopamine, which is uh, one of the strongest pleasure chemicals that's in our, our brain that our, that our brain releases. And I'll, I'll tell you uh, how strong dopamine is. If you put a rat, so scientists tell us, if you put a rat and you give him in a, in a box and you give him one button that if he pushes it, he releases food, or another button and it releases dopamine, guess what happens to the rat? He starves to death. He starves to death very happy. <laughs> He's got a lot of dopamine uh, in him. But he starves while thinking that he is receiving what he really needs, when what he really needs is the exact opposite. I mean, do you get that? Do you understand the deception under the kingdom of man that sex can have on us? Unlike almost anything else, it can convince us that life is found here when life is really found over here. Sex is the most powerful pleasure source that God has given us. So we've got to ask the question, God, what were you thinking? Why did you give us pleasure? And so if you just go back to Genesis 1 and 2, this is before the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you see that Adam and Eve had sexual pleasure. But what purpose did it serve? It was clear that in the garden that Adam and Eve walked with God and they walked with one another. It was clear who the Creator was. It was clear who was the source of all this stuff around them. It was clear who they should listen to. They knew they were being disobedient when they disobeyed God. Why? Because it was clear that they should obey God. All right? And so, in that environment in which there's no sin, what is the purpose of pleasure but to enhance not the worship of another person and not the worship of sex as an end unto itself, 
but to worship the God who granted the gift of pleasure. And so sex, the very purpose of it, is to enhance worship of God. That's why it is such a travesty that the church has neglected to even speak about sex. That it's even embarrassing for some, maybe even this morning, for you to sit here and to hear this from a preacher from the front. And yet, we have to take ownership of it because it was God's idea, and He has a distinct good purpose for it. Alright? And so, as we look at this purpose that... God gave it to us not to replace Him, but to enhance our worship of Him. And if we go a step further and say, the reason that He would have us worship Him with everything that we are is because He and He alone can satisfy our deepest desires and give us the deepest intimacy needs or satisfy the deepest intimacy needs we have then the worst thing he could do would be to say, okay, you guys decide how you want to use that gift. That would be He would be an unloving God if he just stepped back and said, okay, you guys write the rule book. I want you to have authority. I want, I want you to use it any way you want to. You have authority over your own bodies and minds. Y'all are bright enough. Y'all just kind of... No. That would be the worst thing. Why? Because now, as fallen human beings, our desires deceive us. We are easily deceived. And one of the, uh, the, the, the major ways that our hearts deceive us is convincing us that life can be found in something other than God. And so the best thing that God can do is say, as he says in verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's the best thing he can do, but we don't listen to him. We think we know better. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, well, let me just say this. I read an article in Huffington Post this week that is entitled, Living Together Versus Marriage, Benefits and Risk Over the Long Run. Um, and it states that over two-thirds of relationships um, are... Let me say how they say. Two-thirds of couples, that's it. Two-thirds of couples seem to live together outside of marriage. All right. And it, it, it begins to cite benefits of living together. And two of the, the dominant benefits of living together are financial security and um, emotional affirmation and security. And I want you to know that living together gives you that. You say, oh, preacher, you're you're supposed to talk about how horrible it is. No, it absolutely is makes more sense for two people to come together and, and combine their incomes. Because, hey, then you have more income. You don't have to be a rocket science to figure that <laughs> scientist to figure that out. Yeah, that that works. OK, but then also. Isn't it interesting that if you say no to uh, sex for sport and you say, I'm going to live in this committed relationship, doesn't it just make sense that if that's God's design for committed relationship that is um, nurtured and fed by the sexual relationship, isn't it obvious that if two people come together saying no to everybody else but yes to one another, that it's going to feel... Um, right 
And you're going to get love, of course. But what I'm here to tell you this morning, and I'm asked this question a lot, uh, because these two things are the predominant questions that I get, and it's not, it's not so much a fist in my face, tell me, it's more of help us understand, because the world has gone so far in a different direction. So, so what I want to do with this is help you understand where I believe the scriptures are coming from. The financial, or the financial benefits of, of living together and the emotional benefits of living together in a committed relationship um, don't deny God's design for marriage, but they point to it. The, the reason, of course, God designed marriage for a whole host of blessings, and one of the blessings is for protection and financial um, profit. You bring two people together, as I said, and you're working together toward a common goal. I mean, that is going to, to relieve a lot of stresses in life, okay? And if you're committed to one another, forsaking all others, that too is going to bring emotional stability that you were created for, all right? So what's the danger then? I mean, what's the harm, all right? Well... Two things. First of all, in your relationship with God, you're harming yourself. Why? For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now, why? Because he's a grumpy old man and doesn't want us to have fun and, and enjoyment? No. Because we were created not for a spouse, but we were created for God. And in the structure of... Um, uh, of God, He made us in such a way that we can experience the joys and the beauty and the benefits of being in, in covenant, submissive relationship to God through a relationship with a covenant uh, uh, relationship with another person. Does that make sense? So, this marriage serves this. God doesn't serve our marriage, our marriage serves God. And therefore, when we say no to God, that no, you know, I'm choosing him or her over your designs, then we are calling down judgment of ourselves because ultimately what we're doing is making clear the position of our hearts, and that is, I worship this, not you. Does that make sense? I know that's hard. But, but, it really reveals where our worship is, okay? Um, but then secondly, it not only hurts us, but it hurts God. You say, Richard, Richard that just sounds, you know, you, we can't hurt God. Really? Where do you, you know, I've talked to many more women than men, but both, whose spouses have cheated on them. And many times I've been in, in the living room or wherever we were when the other person admitted. It is probably the most heart-wrenching, um, traumatic experience that you can go through as a human being. And many of you in this room, or some of you in this room, I'm not going to say many, but some of you in this room have experienced that. Why? Because we weren't made to be cheated on. 
we were made for faithfulness. We were made for when, when promises are given for them to be followed through. And yet, in adultery, a promise, probably the greatest promise one can make, has been destroyed. And so, when we refuse to hold marriage in high honor, which is what he's saying, and when we choose, however, to defile the marriage bed, and that that just simply means, um, yeah, okay, God doesn't know what he's talking about. When we choose to do that, we are launching an assault on the God who made us and redeemed us by his own blood. We are... We are launching an assault on our true lover. The only one that can love us like we really need to be loved. We are cheating him. We are committing adultery against him. Again, why? Because this is a blessing, but this is is a necessary reality. This is what we were made for. This will end. This will not. This serves this. This doesn't serve this. And so we don't hear that much, do we? And that's why I wanted to explain it this morning. I'm trying to break this down as simply and and, and non-emotionally, because I don't want you to see me, you know, up here. I know what you're doing. No. I mean, seriously, Let's. if you disagree with me, then let's talk. Let's talk through this, okay? Um. You see, God made us for more than a committed relationship. He created us for a covenant relationship. That's the only thing that's going to feed our soul. Is it perfect this side of heaven? No. I mean, no. But is the design perfect? Yes. Why? Because it's God's. And when we try to break God's law, we don't break God's law. We just break ourselves. We're the ones that, that get hurt. And yet, what is, how does God respond? What does the writer of Hebrews throw in this? He actually brings it after um, money, and we're going to hear it again then too. But I think he brings this saying in um, for both sex and money. He says this, Remember what God said. Here's the power. Here it is, church. How do we do that? That seems impossible, especially in our day and age. How do we do that? You remember that God tells you personally, as your lover, your omnipotent lover, I will never leave nor forsake you. There's no man or woman on this planet that will uphold that. There isn't. The only one that will give you what you really, really want and need is God. And so may you draw near to God in love, not just out of guilt and shame. Shame is never going to lead you to Jesus. It will lead you to self-condemnation and deeper into your sin. But if you see in your heart right now, oh, That God is loving you. He's standing before you saying, I will never leave nor forsake you. Choose me over this. Choose me. Then maybe there's some hope that the door of your heart may be open. Okay. All right. 
So that's first. Second, our king upon good authority. Now we're going to mess with your money. Uh, demands that we worship him with our money. Um, my, my, my. Some of the hardest words that Jesus ever spoke were spoken in the context of money. He told the rich young man in Matthew 19, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I want you to know that the rich young man didn't walk away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful because he put those possessions above God. He put worshiping of his possessions, hoarding his wealth above trusting God. And that is where, uh, again, it's an issue of worship. Uh, we see it in Matthew 18, 3 through 4, when we are told to become like little children. Listen, truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's that kingdom terminology again. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is so interesting. What is it about children? It's not that they're perfect. They're just dependent and they know it. I have never seen a child go to counseling because they were worrying about money. (laughs) Have you? I've never seen a child who is wringing his hands over how the bills are going to get paid. They're out playing while who is wringing their hands? Us. <laughs> Mom and Dad. We don't know how it's going to happen. See, we're not burdening them with this. And that's how we are to be as children in the kingdom of God. God the Father says, trust me with your money. Don't fret over what you're going to eat today or tomorrow. Don't fret over that. Trust me, because I'm your father. I love it. Listen to Luke chapter 12, and I'm just going to read verses 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock. And I love this. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Why are you holding on to them? Provide yourselves with money uh, money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see it? Why can't you let go of your money? This morning, if I challenged everybody in this place to think about the most money they ever gave away in one sitting. And I said, I want you to double it right now. Why would that freak you out to the utter core of who you are? Because you would have no clue how you'd make it tomorrow. Now, maybe you're in debt and your stuff would be repossessed and that's a whole nother deal. Uh, we live in a different culture. But it's the same principle. Why are we... In debt up to our eyeballs because we don't believe that we can live on what we make. And we don't believe that we have a heavenly father that is really going to take care of us and whose care is better than the physical stuff that we have leveraged our in everything we have to possess when it really just possesses us. 
writer of Hebrews says in 5 through 6, keep your life free from the love of money. Money's not evil. It's not evil at all. But when you love it in place of God, it is evil. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And in verse 16, we didn't read it this morning, but listen. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, we said before that sexual addiction has very little to do with sex, but everything to do with intimacy. And I want you to know that greed or hoarding our money, or not letting go of our money, being unwilling to tithe, unwilling to give, unwilling to be generous, is not doesn't have much a whole lot to do with money. It has a whole lot to do with faith and who God is for you. And so we must draw near to God and understand that as kingdom citizens, one of the primary um, evidences that, that we are walking by faith in God is that we are generous people. In the early church, they did everything they could do to make sure that there were no poor among them. Why? Because poverty is not a reflection of the kingdom of God. That's not the heart of God. And yet the church is what God looks to to be the solution to poverty. Children being uneducated, children being abused, children being neglected. We can just go down the list, all these things are evidences um, not that God doesn't love the world, but that the church doesn't love the city. Do you see it? And so what we must be is this kingdom of, uh, of, of sons and daughters who are so confident that God is their provider, that they are willing to let go of their resources, that their neighbors might be lifted up, so that the glory of Christ might be manifest in the city. That's the picture of the church. And that's the picture of what we are all to be. Why does he tell us to visit prisoners? Because people living in loneliness, people being abandoned, people being shunned, is not the evidence of uh, of the kingdom of God at work in the city. Do you see it? It is so important that we understand that God has redeemed us not just to forgive us of our personal sins and to reconcile us so that we might live our lives uh, with the confidence of being reconciled to the Father so that our lives can be better. But God has reconciled us and brought us into the kingdom under King Jesus, who is also our Savior, that we might serve Him and show the community the glory of Christ by being the people of God who sacrifice generously and gladly for those around them. And so does this make sense? The only way, dear friends, that we are going to worship God with our sex and our money is by clinging to God's grace and love. That's it. So this morning, with all your fears and maybe conviction. I do not want you to go to shame and guilt. I want you to go to a father who looks at you right now with all your disobedience in the area of sex, and every single person in this room, including your preacher, is sexually broken. 
all of us. There's nobody excluded. And I want to say this. Uh, we have recently created a, a special email for those that that are coming to the realization that they are addicted and they need help, whether it's to sex or pornography or um, alcohol or something else. It's called anonymous at downtownchurch.com. If something I said this morning kind of, or, or you've been wrestling, you've been hiding things, I want you to know there's help for you. Just reach out, and it doesn't come to me. It comes to someone who is experienced and who will find help, and we as a church will even resource financially uh, for you to go to a good counselor and direct you to different programs. Anonymous at downtownchurch.com, all right? New email address. But what I want you to hear this morning is that God stands before you in the midst of your addiction. In the midst, you may have never written a tithe check. You may have never written more than five, maybe not even five dollars to the church. And you know what God says? You're mine. And I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. So come into me that then you might let go. You can't let go of your, of your fears and your, 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 your loneliness and, and all of this and, and your hoarding and you can't let go until you come in. It's gotta be boom, here I am. And so the invitation to you this morning is come. Come to Jesus because He's the one that will give you the security that you're looking to your money for. And He's the one that will give you the love that you're looking to your lover or the Internet or whatever else for. Would you come to Jesus this morning? You can trust Him. And when you come and you fall, He's still standing there. He is still pursuing you. That's the kind of Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank You this morning that there is hope for the broken. We thank You, O God, this morning that there is healing for the sick. And God, we are sin-sick. We are greedy. We are consumed with our own needs. And we are untrusting in Your ability to give us what we need in terms of our intimacy. And so, God, I pray this morning that You would send Your Spirit to open hearts and minds That, God, we would come to you in faith this morning. That we would trust you again. I'm sure that there are men and women, boys and girls in this room that have made so many commitments and they've broken them all and they've given up. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to that person this morning. Speak to them loudly. That you're a God of love. That you came and you lived and you died and you literally became all of their sin. That you might be tortured. That you might be judged so that they might be received and loved. Oh God, only Your Spirit can break through the hardness of our hearts of unbelief in in Your love. And so send Your Spirit to do that right now in this place. Don't just change our behavior, change our hearts, that we might be kingdom citizens, that the world might know that You are worthy, that You are powerful, that You are loving, And that your truth is good and best for us. God, do that because I can't and we can't do it for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.